Good morning, Grace Point. We are so glad you're here today, especially if you're joining us for the very first time. Uh, We are so grateful that you're here. Today is the first Sunday of May, and there's part of me that's like, wow, it's May already. And then there's this other part of me that's like, wow, are we sure it's not actually October? Because it feels like this has been going on so long. But we're thrilled that you are here to continue the series we've been in for the last couple weeks called Meaning Making. We talked last week about the question, where is God during a pandemic? And today we're going to continue that, maybe shift a little bit and talk about praying during a pandemic. Um, I don't know what your experience has been like, but for me, prayer has been one of the toughest um, ideas, concepts to reimagine through a progressive lens. Uh, When you cease to believe in some being that lives above the clouds and occasionally does a thing and then goes back up, what what happens to prayer? How does this reimagined understanding of prayer that we're trying to create, how does it make sense during a time like this? But before we dive into talking about what I think prayer can be, um, if we are open to it, I want to talk a little bit about how prayer has been conceptualized in the popular Christian imagination. Um, There are so many Christian cliches that just exist in the world, right? Uh, And it's interesting to me that a lot of them tend to center on prayer and the relationship between God and us and prayer. Um, And so I'm going to share some of them. Uh, I bet you have others. Feel free to drop them in the comments section um, because we would love to know what what I've missed. But here's some of the things I've thought about. And uh, this is kind of a a lengthy list. And so I'm only going to comment when I just can't stand it. Um, Also, I'm going to comment on every single one of them because I just can't stand it. And so let's begin with sort of the one that I hear a lot, and that is prayer changes things. And all I want to say about that is we're going to come back to this, but I think the key question when we're asking okay, does prayer change things? I think the key question is how. How does prayer change change things? And we'll come back to that at the end. Um, Another really familiar one is let go and let God, um, as if anything were that simple, right? Like if it's possible to say, okay, I'm done. I'm letting go and now I'm letting God. I don't don't even know that we think about what that means or how difficult of a concept that is, that we just kind of let it go and forget about it. That's just not how, that's not how it works. Um, The phrase, we need to lift them up in prayer. Um, and this is, I'm not saying this is not a valid phrase, but imagine how it sounds to somebody completely unfamiliar with Christian language and with Christian vocabulary. We're going to lift them up. It kind of creates in the imagination this, where we're actually hoisting somebody up in prayer because maybe God can't hear them unless we bring them a little closer or, you know, where are we lifting them to up where we belong? Um, what is going on? Where are we lifting them? And then there's thoughts and prayers, right? We talk about thoughts and prayers all the time. Every time there's something in our culture, some act of violence, some shooting, some something, our go-to phrase is, let's remember them in our thoughts and prayers. And sometimes this is a genuine expression of concern. And I think we'll see that later on in the teaching. But I'm sure um, when we tell people that, we mean it generally. But in this cultural moment, this phrase has come to be sort of mockable because it functions as our go-to when we want to use our spirituality to mask our lack of moral courage um, to tackle the pressing issues of the day, right? Like it's, it's sort of a way of us saying, look how religious we are, but we aren't actually faithful enough to deal with the issues that are creating the needs for thoughts and prayers. Um, and I just believe prayer cannot be a substitute for action. And I think we'll see more about that as we keep going too. Another phrase we hear a lot is we need everybody praying. Um, what does that mean? Does God have sort of, um, a, a threshold, like if you don't get a certain amount of signatures on this petition, God's not going to pay attention to it. Would God actually refuse to heal someone just because enough people weren't asking for somebody to be healed or, or whatever they needed to be done? Is that really 
an image of God we want to hang on to. And then there's the phrase, I'll pray about it, which often happens when you get asked to do something that you really don't want to do. And so you just say, I'll pray about it. It's a Christian way of saying, I don't want to do it, but I don't want to disappoint you. So I'm going to let God disappoint you when God tells me definitely knows the answer, right? Um, then we you know, have heard God always answers with a yes or a no. Nobody tell that to Garth Brooks. That would really mess up um, one of his songs. Uh, saw this one recently. Worry is a conversation with myself. Prayer is a conversation with God. And I think that this really kind of illuminates the failure of the Christian tradition to take mental health seriously, especially when we tend to heap shame on people who are experiencing depression and anxiety. It's tragic and we can't keep doing it. Worry and anxiety are natural parts of what it means to be a human being. And as we vilify it and bring shame on it, um, it actually doesn't help the process. Um, I read this one. Prayer is earthly permission for a heavenly intervention. So like God would need permission to do a thing. And then just does anybody remember prayer chains where something would happen and you would get a phone call and you would call somebody and they would call somebody and it was sort of this big prayer chain? It just came to my mind. I don't have comments on it. It just came to my mind. And then one of the things that has always been as a pastor um, really, really difficult for me is the idea of praying at high school sporting events. Um, so in Kentucky where I was pastoring before I would do radio for the local, um, radio station for football games. And a lot of times I would be up in the broadcast booth and the announcer would ask me if I would pray because maybe they didn't get somebody or they couldn't find somebody else. Um, and it's just one of those things. I never knew what to say. What do you say? Pray. Number one, should we even be praying at a high school sporting event? And number two, what do we pray for? Oh God, help us vanquish our foes and enemies. Is that the sort of prayer? Um, I just can't do that anymore because I don't know what to say in those moments. That was a lot, but it feels important to survey how we consciously or even I think subconsciously or unconsciously think about prayer because I think prayer has a God-sized problem. And, And here's what I mean by that. If we think about prayer specifically as asking God to do something, Asking God to change the outcome, asking God to give us a thing, asking God for something, and essentially asking God to intervene. What happens if God doesn't intervene? Or what happens if God intervenes for them, but God doesn't intervene for us, or God intervenes for us, but doesn't intervene for them? I think there's, I hope, an, an unintended insensitivity that occurs Um, when people credit God for healing, fixing, and protecting them. Because it's very, very possible that there's somebody else in that earshot of that conversation or somebody else at that table who has had a similar experience that turned out very, very differently. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be grateful. I think we need more gratitude than ever in this life. But I am saying, I think sometimes when we sort of our theology seeps into our discussion, we can unintentionally give the message that this is how God works. God sometimes favors us, but God doesn't favor you. For some reason, God healed my person, but God didn't heal your person. Or for some reason, God gave me the job, but didn't give you the job. Or for some reason, God did a thing for me, and God didn't do a thing for you, right? That when you drive by the police car, and you're going 15 over, and you start praying, Jesus, Jesus, don't don't let me get pulled over. And you don't get pulled over. And you're like, whew, answered a prayer. But then somebody else dies and they were praying to be rescued in some way. Like th- I think there is an unattended. And I think it creates a God-sized problem. If God intervenes for some and not for all, is that really good? If God is going around 
keeping people from speeding tickets, but not curing cancer. If God's going around not solving world hunger, but like helping people get a better score in the ACT, is that a kind of God we want to be in relationship with? I think that when we actually sit down and, and process the things we're saying, we can begin to understand that when we speak theologically, whether we think we're speaking theologically or not, we are painting a picture of the kind of God we, we believe in, that we talk about. And is this the kind of God, the God who pops in, bippity boppity boos some stuff for this person and just doesn't for this other person because maybe not enough people were praying or not enough people were asking. And so God didn't feel compelled to like pop down for that. Um, so I think that the idea of God as an interventionist can actually create more problems than it solves. Now, I'm not saying if you believe that, that's okay. Um, I think things happen that are unexplainable. I, I don't always know why things happen the way they do. I still pray for those sorts of things. I pray for my family. I pray for my friends. I pray for our community. Um, I, I pray for all those things, just like I would if I believed God was popping in and out. I just don't know that it happens that way. But you believe what you want. Uh, I still think, even if that's not the case, if God's not popping in and out, I still think prayer can be a meaningful, transformative practice, especially in the days we live in. And I want to share a few reasons why and a few things about it that have become meaningful to me. First, I, I think prayer can be about naming and being present to our feelings and our longings. Didn't most of us grow up in a tradition that said, don't trust your feelings and suppress your longings? And I think that what prayer does actually gets us in tune with our feelings and our longings and allows us to begin to express them. And as we begin to express them, it does something to us. Now, I don't want to say a lot about this because uh, in the 17th of this month, we're going to be talking about learning to lament, which is something that is sort of a lost art in the Western world for lots of us. So I want to talk more about this then, but I think that it, prayer can be a way of being present and naming the pain, the grief, the loss, the hope, and all those things that we're carrying around with us all the time. Um, so uh, I think prayer can do that. Second, I think prayer can be an act of solidarity. I think prayer is about standing with someone. So when we pray for somebody else, we become aware of their needs. We become aware of their situation. We become aware of maybe even ways that we can then help, ways we can plug into the situation and get involved. And there's something about feeling not alone in the world. All right, there's something about seeing somebody else who's going through what you're going through or they've been through it or they're going through something else and you can sort of you know, stand together through that that can be so meaningful and actually even in the worst moments can be really, really hopeful and life-giving. Now, here's, a, here's just a silly example. When you move from the place you've always known uh, and you see somebody else from that place or, or, or supporting that lo locale, and you'll see why I say that in a minute, uh, it does something to you. So I, I grew up on the Kentucky-West Virginia line. I identify both, Kentucky and West Virginia. Uh, and growing up, we were always fans and still are rabid fans of the West Virginia Mountaineers. Something interesting happens. I, am, I tend to be like out in the wild, more of an introvert. Um, I'm not going to really just strike up random conversations with people I don't know necessarily. Um, when They used to take us um, in the church bus and drop us off at the mall when we were youth, and we had to try to like witness to people and make them become Christian in some way. Um, I it was terrible at that because I didn't really wasn't super excited about talking to strangers I didn't know. I, I believed in my parents, and I don't talk to strangers. Um, but when I see somebody, um, whether it's here in our in town, whether it's uh, somewhere else, when I see somebody wearing a WV on their hat or I see a license plate or a sticker, I immediately, in some strange way, I 
even though I bet our beliefs about things may not line up and our politics probably don't line up and none of the things that you would expect to line up, line up, there's something about me that feels connected to them in some way. Like they know the joy of biting into a hot pepperoni roll. And if you don't know that joy, I pray it finds you in this life at some point. Right. So I, I will go out of my shell in ways that I won't normally when I see somebody wearing the same logo of the team or the state that I have so many fond memories of, right? It pulls me out of myself and into some sort of sense of connection, even though we're not super connected. And I think prayer allows us to do that. It allows us to realize that when somebody says to you or somebody says to me, I'm praying for you, and it doesn't come off like a threat, right? But when they say, I'm praying for you, it, it makes you realize they, they're going to be thinking about me. As I'm going through what I'm going through, at least somebody out there has my back and they know, and maybe they'll check in. And maybe, I mean, hopefully what prayer does is it leads us also into something, into a way I'm aware of a need. So how can I come alongside this person and carry the weight with them and support them and walk this path with them? I I think that in that way, prayer isn't weak. It isn't a cop out. When you know somebody's journeying with you, it provides a source of strength. And I've seen this happen time and time again in situation after situation where somebody's going through a really difficult moment, whether it's a loss of someone they love, whether it's a diagnosis, whether it's a loss of a job. There are so many different things that happen to us in the world. And I've seen people surround one another in love and compassion and even prayer. And I've seen that that solidarity and that sense of community. I've seen it breathe life into people who didn't think they would keep going. I have been in situation after situation where I, I, I believe somebody actually made it through because they had the support of other people. That maybe they would have collapsed in on themselves, but they had people around them saying, essentially, um, keep going because we're going to keep going with you. And I think that that's what prayer in one one aspect of prayer. I think it moves us into solidarity. It moves us into the awareness of other people and what's going on in their lives and what they need. It sort of brings us out of just being so focused on us that we can begin to realize that there are other people in the world around us who have needs and other people, and we can meet those needs, right? I I can show up and be a presence. I can make a phone call. I can send a text message. I can order some pizzas and pay for them and have it delivered to their house. I can do a thing that would let them know that I'm in solidarity with them. So I think prayer isn't this cop-out where you just go, well, I'm going to go pray for you, which means I'm not doing anything. I think prayer is actually something that if we're really doing it, it would lead us to get our hands dirty pretty quickly. It would lead us into some sort of action and involvement. Because to stand in solidarity isn't just standing, it's an action, right? It's coming along and saying, I see you, I hear you, I'm with you, you are not alone. And I believe that that can keep us going when everything in us wants to just give up. And so prayer can be an act of solidarity. Finally, I think prayer can be a way of centering and strengthening ourselves. I think prayer can be a way of us quieting the noise. And maybe you would even use meditation here, right? It's a very similar practice, I think. But quieting the noise, bringing our whole selves into the moment, And allowing us to gain strength and sort of a a place of center when everything feels off-center. And right now, this time feels really off-center. Everything feels wonky and out of place. 
So I think prayer can be a way for us to center ourselves before we even engage a day, before we even engage a moment, before we engage a difficult conversation. Prayer can be a way for us to begin to prepare ourselves for all of that. And this is exactly how it seems prayer worked for Jesus and his life. There's a couple examples. One is very early on in the life of Jesus in Mark chapter 1. Jesus is just starting his public activity, and he's made a big splash. And in Mark chapter 1, he does something. He, he's at the home of his, one of his disciples named Peter, uh, and his, Peter's mother-in-law is ill. And so Jesus heals her. Word spreads quickly that this thing, this miraculous event has occurred. And then a little bit, just a couple verses later, here's what it says in Mark 1, 32 through 35. That evening at sunset, People brought to Jesus those who were sick or demon-possessed. The whole town gathered near the door. He healed many who were sick with all kinds of diseases, and he threw out many demons. But he didn't let the demons speak because they recognized him. Early in the morning, well before sunrise, Jesus rose and went to a deserted place where he could be alone in prayer. Now, if I'm being 100% honest, if I'm Jesus here, I probably hit the snooze button and say, I'll do it later, right? I mean, Jesus has had this labor-intensive experience of providing healing and comfort and seeing people and transforming their experience. And what does Jesus do? He wakes up early and he goes off by himself. And it seems like the thing he's doing when he's by himself, the word is prayer, but it also seems to be this sort of energizing, recharging. He's spent all kinds of energy. And we, I think we know this, right? Because you can have a full night's sleep and be exhausted, How many of you have been parenting through the quarantine? I see those hands. And you know that you can get a full night's sleep and you can wake up and be exhausted. There's tired and then there's soul tired. There's, I I put in a hard day of labor and then there's, I poured myself out on behalf of other people. Both are hard, but there's something about emptying your energies out for other people to be energized by that can leave you exhausted. And it really does not matter how much sleep you get you're still going to be drained at some sort of core level, deep in the center of your being. You've expended your energy, and now you have to do something to put it back in. I think for many of us, we are continually running on that. That tank is low, and we're continually trying to do the same activity. And no wonder it's exhausting, and no wonder we don't have the energy, and no wonder we just keep pouring ourselves out. And Jesus takes this moment, and he slips away to a quiet, isolated place, and he prays. And that prayer energizes him for the next leg of the journey. Now, I wonder for how many of us, if we were to take a regular practice of prayer, meditation, and for those of us who do, I mean, you know what this does in your life. How might it transform our experiences? What might it do in us? One of the ways I try to do this is there's an app called Headspace. Uh, And one of the things I'm grateful for, and we had this conversation um, on one of our live chats this week, But one of the things I'm grateful for is often when I'm sort of doing that prayer and meditation and just trying to center myself, my brain immediately starts going a million other places. And I love what the person, the voice inside my phone says to me when he or she says, if you notice your mind wandering, just let it go for a moment, observe it, and bring it back. Let it go. Acknowledge that it's gone and bring it back to your breath. And there's something about, because I think prayer may be a place where a lot of us end up with extra guilt, right? Where we aren't good enough prayers. Um, a lot of times people use the language of prayer warrior, which is just kind of uncomfortable for me. But we're like, I'm not a prayer warrior. I'm, I'm like a prayer court jester or something. I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it right. But there's something about, no, no, there's no shame. 
There's no shame. Did you fall asleep during prayer? That's okay. You were tired. Did your mind wander and you thought about something else? Okay, just bring it back to your breath. Give yourself grace. The point of prayer is not to check off a box. I think the point of prayer is to regain our center and to regain our energy and regain our strength to go and give it away in the world in all the creative, interesting ways we choose to do that. And, And then there's at the end of Jesus' life another moment when he's about to be betrayed, arrested, essentially abandoned and executed. And Jesus goes into a place called the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays. And as he goes into the garden, he actually says to his disciples, sit here. Uh, This is Mark 14. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. He began to feel despair and was anxious. Think about that. Jesus began to feel despair and was anxious. I think Jesus senses that the Romans are, are starting to and, and those they are collaborating with among his own people are starting, the, the, it's getting tighter and it's getting more and more dangerous. He knows that his, his moment is coming. And he said to them, I'm very sad. It's as if I'm dying. And then Jesus goes in and prays for the cup to be passed off to someone else. At the beginning of his work, Jesus expended energy and he went recentered and restrengthened. Before the end of his work, Jesus goes into a quiet place alone and he's honest and he's sad and he's anxious and he's weeping and he knows that this is going to be difficult. And I think it's interesting that he chooses to pray there. It must have been a source of strength. So I think prayer can be not a substitute for action, but the impetus and energy that propels us to act. Right, saying I'm praying for you shouldn't be a cop-out. What it should mean is that I'm thinking of you and I'm praying for you, and that prayer comes with a commitment to act in whatever way I can to support you and stand with you and solidarity with you. Right? Thoughts and prayers shouldn't be the thing we say when we're refusing moral act, the integrity to do the great moral action we need to take. What if thoughts and prayers were the thing we actually express to people who are going through a difficult time? And what if it came with the understanding that if you're in my thoughts and prayers, I'm here for you. Here's my phone number. What's your address? I'm going to send you over some pizza. I, I, don't, I like pizza. We're going to send you pizza. Whatever that looks like. Thoughts and prayers can be something more than just sort of a cop out. It can be the ground of our action. It can be the thing that pushes us out to remember one another, to remember those we love and remember those that we're praying for and then actually do something to stand alongside them. I do not think it's simple. I don't think prayer is this equation where we say the right words and enough of us say them and God comes in to bippity-boppity-boo it all and everything is good, like a 30-minute sitcom sort of arrangement. I think in the messiness of life and all of the anger and all of the pain, we can find a place of centering and strength Even if we don't want to, listen, even if you don't want to imagine, because I don't imagine this, that you're praying to a being that's above the clouds, an old man with a long beard um, and a big robe. And if you say the right words, this old man will come down and fix it. I'm not saying that. If you you can't imagine praying to a being, I still think prayer can be life-giving and transforming. It can be a place of centering when you calm yourself and you calm your world and you open yourself to be honest about where you are and the energy that you've expended. And it opens you up to receive more of that back in, I think. So does prayer change things? That was the first cliche we looked at, right? Does prayer change things? And I said, maybe, but I think the question is how. And here's how I think 
prayer changes things. Prayer changes things because prayer changes us. Prayer changes things because prayer changes us. Prayer calls us to stand alongside one another. Prayer gives us the courage to begin to articulate our feelings and our longings and the things we're carrying around that are heavy and full of pain and anguish and loss. It gives us the courage to begin to speak those things or write those things or somehow actually engage with those things that we normally want to just sweep under the rug because they're not pretty. Prayer gives us the courage to come alongside each other and say, you're not in this alone. We are absolutely 1 million percent together in this. In, in any way I can be with you and stand with you and stand alongside you, I am here and I have your back. When prayer takes on that kind of, when prayer is embodied in action, prayer changes everything. It is not a cop-out. It actually is a source of strength, courage, energy, and it pushes us out into the world to go be those kinds of human beings, to get our hands dirty by helping one another in the messiness, muck, and mire of life. Now, I'm not saying that everybody in this watching this right now needs to take five and pray, but what I am saying is if you find yourself sort of empty, running on empty, you've expended a lot, maybe take 10 minutes. Listen to the Headspace app. Let it lead you into some meditation, let it lead you into some prayer, and let's see if we don't get filled back up by it. I'm not saying that you should pray morning, noon, and night, but maybe we find a spot in the day to just be quiet and be still and listen to ourselves, but also listen for whatever else may be coming for us and being spoken to us. Maybe it's being quiet and listening to the birds and being reminded that the birds have everything they need, that, that they are cared for and that you and I are cared for, and we're not alone. And maybe that's the greatest gift prayer gives us. It's not being alone. Knowing that someone is thinking of us, someone is praying for us, they're expending their energy for us, and that they are there together with us, even in this.